Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hi everyone and welcome to My Millennial Money Medical. My name is Dev Raga and I'm your host and in this episode we'll go through some budgeting strategies when it comes to personal finance. I've done an episode way back in 2018 about this in my previous life as Dev Raga Personal Finance so we will revisit many of the concepts again and after the break we'll go into some complex budgeting concepts used in corporate finance which I haven't talked about in the past. As you know for a personal finance enthusiast I'm a big fan of the pay yourself approach but acknowledge this may not be for everyone. We can't do this podcast without the support of Altus Financial. If you're anything like me, you will understand that us medical professionals often have unique financial affairs, from taxation minimization requirements, multiple entities for accounting, or asset protection for the extra risk we take on. Altus Financial understands these issues and more. Whether you're established in your career with a solid income and looking for next steps, or you're after advice about buying into a practice, Altus Financial is for medical professionals who want to feel good about their finances. To speak with Altus Financial about your situation, Click the link in the show notes or head to altusfinancial.com.au forward slash M3M. Let's get started. If you want me to discuss a specific topic or if you have a specific question, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or Facebook. For those of you that are new to the channel, don't forget, aim is to educate, empower and entertain. Now, this topic was actually inspired by Anon, who asks, Hi there, I'm wondering if there is an easy way to start budgeting. If there are any tips and tricks you could share with me, thank you. Now, thanks for the question, uh, Anon. That's quite a relevant one. Now, let's get back to the fundamentals of personal finance, and that is the budget. Is it worth it? Does it work? And is there various ways to achieve it? The answer to all of this is yes, And it entirely depends on your personal finance style and your personality as well. So what is a budget? Now, everyone needs a budget. It's basically a plan. Countries have budgets, states have budgets, councils have budgets, businesses have budgets. So you should have a budget plan as well. A budget is basically a spending plan. A look at all of the income and all of the expenses and a plan for what's left over. A budget can be daily, weekly, monthly, or even yearly, and there has to be a time frame for each budget, otherwise it's particularly meaningless. And there are various budgeting strategies, and each one has its own positives and negatives, and we'll go through them in this episode. Now, why have a budget from a personal finance point of view? It provides a map for your financial goals. It forces you to keep the eye on the prize. Every time you want to buy something, you can refer back to the budget. You may realise the utility of that something may not fit in with your budgeting goals. It keeps you grounded. It ensures you stick to the plan. 
Now, sporting teams don't win championships by accident. They plan, they plan again, they execute, and they refine the plan again. And it ensures that you don't spend money you don't have. So that's why Afterpay or Beforepay or whatever other companies that are trying to claim your money and charge you for it, it's a bad idea. That is, spending money you don't have is always a bad idea. And a budget helps with your retirement savings plan as well. A lot of people think about budgeting only as a spending plan, but it also can incorporate a savings and even investing plan. You're planning today's money for a better retirement tomorrow. It reduces financial stress during your earning years and most definitely reduces financial stress during your retirement. And you're less likely to go into debt, even during emergencies. All budgets should incorporate a set-aside money for emergency funds. Now, usually a 3 to 12 months of expenses are tucked away. My preference is that I tend to prefer 3 to 12 months of income, not just expenses, which means I don't need to sacrifice my lifestyle even during an emergency. And that includes my pay-yourself money. That is, during an emergency, I'm still paying myself first, which means I'm still continuing to invest. The other good thing about budgets is it's highlights really, really bad habits. Just having a look at your spending and you may find a lot of money is wasted on things you may not actually need or enjoy anymore. Recurring subscriptions is a classic example. You may be surprised how much money you're pouring into subscriptions like Netflix, Stan, gym memberships, car subscription even, or sometimes recurring gambling habits like the lotto. Unless you look at your spending habits, you will never find such habits. And there's also objectively less stress when you budget. That's a fact. When there is less stress, your health is better, reduces risk factors, and having good health is an important aspect of achieving personal financial independence. There's absolutely no point being rich and dead early. Now, when it comes to businesses and companies, budgeting is even more important. They need to factor in payroll, rent, utilities, insurance, professional services such as IT and outsourcing, loan commitments, insurance payments, etc. And just like in personal finance, the benefits of budgeting for businesses and companies is one, preparing for emergencies, two, attracting investors, three, setting financial and sales goals, four, preparing tax liabilities and papers, and five, future-proofing their business and business expansion plans. Now, now that we've learned the basics and the importance of a budget, let's consider the types of budgets that are out there that you may want to use. Now, in my opinion, there are five main budgeting strategies on the whole. Number one, 50, 30, 20 budget. Number two, zero-based budget. Number three, envelope budget. Number four, values-based budget. Number five, pay yourself budget. And my adaptation of that is the 50-30-20 budget is that I call it the 30-30-20-20 budget. So let's go through each of these budgeting strategies and have a look at the good and bad things about them. So what is the 50-30-20 budget? Now this is based on the needs, wants and savings hierarchy. The biggest problem with this budget is you need to determine the needs and wants. It is not determined for you. What is a need for someone may be a want for someone else, depending on their job, situation and personal circumstance. Here are some examples of needs. Housing expenses such as mortgage 
or rental expenses, food expenses, groceries and shopping, utility bills such as lights, water and internet, any loan liabilities, because if you don't pay them, it may potentially bankrupt you. What are some of the wants? Could be eating out, dining out, entertainment, events, movies, travel, luxuries, and holidays. And what are savings? Well, usually it just means 20% of savings target, and this includes emergency funds, retirement savings, or any additional debt repayment. Notice this is very similar to the pay yourself first money I talk about all the time, except I say take 20% of your after-tax income and put it aside. Now, here are some points to note about this particular budgeting style, that is a 50-30-20 style. This budget style doesn't exactly stipulate whether it's based on gross or net income. Generally, I tend to prefer after-tax income, that is net income, because that is reality. That's the money that you play with. It just makes it a little bit more difficult for those earning a gross income or sole traders who need to set aside some money for their taxes. Now, if you are a sole trader, which, you know, a lot of doctors are, for example, they, they get gross income. And, you know, if you're a sole trader um, that's dealing with, uh, you know, the National uh, Disability Insurance Scheme, you may be invoicing your clients, um, you know, the, the, the fees, then I tend to have a really aggressive approach for this. And that is how do you factor in your taxes? I impose a 50% tax rule on myself. I used to when I did private practice. So I used to take 50% off my gross income and set it aside. And that would be my tax money. And we know that the marginal tax rates in Australia are about 45%. So already I'm setting aside more than I probably should be. And I know that overall, when I do my taxes at the end of the year, it'll be less than 50%, obviously, and any difference is my additional savings. Now, it may not be realistic to some people, but I found such an aggressive rule quite simple and easy to follow, rather than having to do sums constantly about what my marginal tax rates are, because every year might be different. So what are the good things about this type of budgeting style? That is the 50-30-20 budget. It takes into account a measured approach to budgeting. It's really simple, and it factors in retirement funds and emergency funds, and it allows for enjoyment of life by counting for wants. What are some of the bad things about this budget? Well, distinguishing needs and wants, as I've said before, can be quite tricky. Is an internet connection a need or a want? Does it need to be NBN, or can it be a cheaper plan? These are all things that you need to work out for yourself. A person who has a job working from home and requires a fast internet connection in the IT field, for them, a really good internet connection is a need. But for someone like myself, who works as a doctor on the floor, I don't really need fast internet at home. In fact, I don't really use much internet at home. You know, I come home and probably use my email maybe once every couple of days because most of the time I do most of my internet stuff on my phone or my iPad, uh, which has 4G connections. The debt repayment focuses on minimum repayments, doesn't prioritise maximising repayments, so it can be prolonging your debt life cycle. And the 20% savings, now some people may not be, uh, you know, as less aggressive as that is. Sorry, some people may want to be more aggressive, uh, although personally I found that 20% is a sweet spot. Any less is not enough for retirement savings and anything more can impinge on one's lifestyle. That's just a personal preference. Now that's the 50-30-20 budget. The second type of budgeting plan is called zero-based budgeting. Now, this type of budgeting ensures every dollar is accounted for. Essentially, you list out your income and list out your expenses. 
and hopefully you earn more than you spend. Then whatever is left over is spent on the most pressing expense for that month. You may wish to account for expenses to categories such as housing, utilities, food, transportation, debt repayments, savings, entertainment and miscellaneous expenses. And once each of those categories have money in them, you assign whatever money is left over to any one of those categories which you think is most in need. So, for example, you may want to allocate leftover money to debt repayment or food for that uh, month or even savings for that month. Now, the good things about this type of budget is you can itemise your expenses and income. It's way more detailed and the extra funds, you have greater flexibility in assigning it to a particular category. The bad things about this budget is it's more time-consuming. Anything more detailed is more time-consuming. And for time-poor people, it's not a great strategy. Sometimes it takes a lot of time to learn how to get your budget to zero, rather than in the negative. Of course, it helps if you earn more than you spend. So that's zero-based budgeting. The third type of budgeting is called the envelope budget. Now, Dave Ramsey talks about this all the time. Now, people don't have actual envelopes anymore much these days. And if you do, good for you, but most people don't. Essentially, you divide up your income and expenses into various quote-unquote envelopes, which can be virtual envelopes like bank accounts or in some banks. They actually offer a folder service, which is very handy within the one account. Now, this is mainly a cash-based budget. And this type of budgeting accounts for fixed costs first, then accounts for variable expenses such as the envelope system. And using a cash-based budget means the expenses are more painful and more visceral. But given most people don't carry cash these days, it makes this budget quite unrealistic to do. But if you do like cash, this may suit you. What are the good things about this budgeting style? Now, cash-based budgets mean generally people spend less. Why? Because when you use credit cards or even debit cards, you get it back. You hand over the credit card and they give it back to you. Or most places just have PayPass where you just do it yourself. And when you use your cash, though, you never get that money back. It's gone forever from your wallet or from your purse to the business of the person that you're spending money on. And this elicits a visceral pain response. And seeing visible cash at the end of the month or in your bank account can be very empowering. The bad things about this budget is cash can be misplaced and there is an inherent security risk. You don't want to be having lots of cash in your home because, you know, you're a sitting duck in case someone wants to break in. You don't want to be carrying too much cash on yourself at any one time because, again, if you lose your wallet or, you know, in a rare circumstance, although it's very rare in Australia, I would have thought, you're walking down and someone uh, holds you up, then you lose all that money. Now, people may spend more if they have access to liquidity. So if you have money sitting in your wallet, you may actually spend it. And a lot of places simply don't accept cash. And COVID made that nail in the coffin quite well. So that's the bad things about an envelope system budget. The next type of budgeting strategy is called value-based budgeting. Now, this type of budget takes care of the essentials like food and housing and utilities and transportation. Then with any leftover money, you're able to spend it according to your personal values and what you feel is important. You will need to review your spending habits over the last three to six months and see how it pertains to your values. You can use that information to adjust your spending more in line with your values. Now, to use an example, you find that after accounting to essentials, you're spending way too much money on dining out. You may wish to relook at this and think perhaps that money or some of it actually better spend on other things. So perhaps 
you know, you want to spend, you know, 40% can be used on dining, 30% on charities and 30% on your own well-being or health. Okay. So that's just a value-based budget. Now, the good thing about this budgeting style is you're more in tune with your purpose in life. This may actually build more connection with your community, such as charity work or environmental sustainability work, etc. And of course, you know, charitable deductions are tax deductible. Now, the bad things about this budgeting strategy is you need some disposable income. You need some spare income. And value-based budgets are very subjective to the person and can change over time. It's all well and good to be environmentally friendly today, but it may not suit you moving forward due to the sheer cost of the environmental-friendly options, for example. You may have other people come into your life, like a partner or a child, that are going to take away some of that money. So again, it's not set in stone for this sort of budgets. And lastly, my favourite type of budget style, which I use in my life, is called pay yourself first, which is basically a play on the 50-30-20 budget. And I've updated that to 30-30-20-20 budget. And this type of budgeting uh, style highlights that you're the most important person in your life. So this means you take a set portion of your income, and I prefer after tax, and set it aside for your future self. I recommend 20% of after tax income. Then it's just a matter of divvying up the 80% of your income to 30% expenses, 30% housing, 20% luxuries, or emergency funds. Now, the beauty of this budgeting style is because you've paid yourself first, no matter what you do with the 80%, you can completely spend it if you want to, you'll still have some money tucked away for your retirement. That's the beauty of this system because you're the most important person in your life. So you take that 20% of after-tax income and you pay yourself first. So the pros of this budget is it's simple, it's easy, it's effective, and it's reproducible. It takes very little time, and you always meet your savings and retirement goals if you stick to it. The bad thing about this budget is you can't itemise, which means it's really structureless. The lack of structure can be a real issue for some people. It doesn't take into account any debt repayments at all. So you know, this type of budget is mainly suited for people that have no debt to pay off. So which budgeting strategy is the best? Well, the one that suits you. That's why personal finance is personal. Having said this, here's my top tips to ensure you stick to your budget. Choose a style which suits you. Never ever waver from it. Not even for a second. Just accept it if you use frictionless transactions and you're going to spend more. It's as simple as that. No matter how much discipline you have, if you have frictionless transactions, you are going to spend more. Learn about personal finance. Learn about new budgeting styles, which may supersede your style. And be realistic. Try not to be hardcore initially because you'll lose interest. And if you set unrealistic goals, it's not going to work. It just gets even harder. But there is one common theme amongst all of these budgets. You need to spend less than you earn. And for that, you need to look at your income, look at your expenses, and make this distinction first. Otherwise, it's completely pointless doing a budget. I hope this clarifies about budgets, and I hope this answers Anon's question when it comes to personal finance. Let's take a quick break, and when I come back, I want to briefly talk about budgets when it comes to corporations. 
If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All right, we're back. Now, one of the things I want to discuss and I've actually never discussed before is how budgets differ from businesses and corporations compared to personal finance. Now, this may be of interest to investors who review corporate budgets to analyse companies. And as you know, I don't pick stocks, so I don't do this often, but it may be worthwhile to those people to be aware of it. Fundamentally, the concept of budgeting doesn't change for businesses when it comes to personal finance. Now, you need to spend less than what you make as a business. And businesses may rely on leverage a little bit more than when compared to individuals, but it's basically a common way to expand their business operations. But the fundamental thing is you need to spend less than what you make. So in corporate finance or business finance, what are the four main types of budgeting strategies that businesses use? Number one, incremental. Number two, activity-based. Number three, value proposition. And number four, zero-based budgets. Let's look at all of these and go one by one systematically and expand on them. What is incremental budgeting? Now, this is when businesses use last year's budgets and build on that and factor in budget increases or budget decreases. It is the most common method of budgeting because it's easy and the figures are somewhat repeated. In fact, even when it comes to taxation, many people just use their last year's tax returns to get a bit of a feel of what sort of deductions are relevant for the current year's deductions. And accountants have the sort of information already built in and it forms a basis for any future tax returns. So this is a very similar concept. It's a really good system, provided there are no significant changes to the primary cost drivers of the business. The biggest problem with this type of budget is it perpetuates past historical budget inefficiencies. So managers may start relying on this budget to not really make efficiency arguments within the budget because they know they can get a budget increase of 10% every year. So where's the incentive? Now, the other issue is a manager may actually purposely overestimate the budget, knowing that in future they will get more and more and make it look like their team is always under budget, remembering in some professions remaining under budget is a key performance indicator, which may be a factor in bonus payments, and that's certainly true in the private sector. 
Now, let's use an example in the healthcare setting to highlight this particular budgeting strategy. Amy is a medical director of a public hospital department. Now, she's currently reviewing the budget and factor in what sort of EFT will be required for the next year. She's been budgeted for four EFTs as part of the medical roster, and during a current year, due to COVID restrictions, it was decided to reduce capacity at a department and move some of the services to other departments. Amy is following the incremental budgeting system, so she has budgeted for the same four EFTs, even though there may not be a requirement for this in the next year. She figures it may lighten the load of the existing workforce, and that's a good thing. The reality is the medical roster can actually be trimmed to 3.5 EFTs, which will account for sick leave, annual leave, and CME requirements. Amy has strategized her budget and has accepted built-in inefficiencies without reviewing what is actually happening within the department in the coming year. So that gives you a bit of an idea about an overview of incremental budgeting. The second type of corporate budgeting is called activity-based budgeting. Now, this is very, very common in many hospitals, particularly in public hospitals, and is very consistent nationally as well in Australia. Now, before they used to call um, activity-based budget, they used something called case mix funding. I won't digress too much into that. It's a bit boring. But in the private sector, basically activity-based budgeting means they set output targets and think about inputs which are required and allocate funds to these inputs, basically. So let's use an example to highlight this type of budgeting strategy. Amy is a CEO of a large corporation, which happens to be in the healthcare sector. During her planning meetings, it was decided the output targets of revenue for a company will be around $200 million in the next 12 months. To achieve such a target, Amy enlisted her team to work out what sort of activities required to generate an output of $200 million in revenue. Once that's determined, then it's just a matter of working out the costs associated with carrying out those activities and then allocating funds to these costs. Now, the third budgeting strategy is called value proposition budgeting. Now, for a business, the most important thing is not just products or services, it's their customers. Businesses tend to stay in tune to what their customers say about them. This is where Amazon is a great example of a good company because Jeff Bezos realized this very early on that customers are always right. And he was always striving to achieve what is best for customers. Now, on the flip side is working at Amazon, particularly in the United States, uh, my understanding is and what I've read and understood is that some workers, it's absolute hell. But that's a bit of a digression. Ultimately, keeping customers happy will mean consistent rise in quality of products and services, and the customers will direct your business well if you listen to them, and that means you make more money, which means you have more profits. And that's a good thing for your shareholders. Let's use an example on a very small scale. Amy is a company director and is reviewing her budget. She uses a value proposition budget, but wants to improve the staff experience at work. She notices most staff spend a fair amount of money on coffee every day. The tea room has a basic coffee machine. The company's survey resulted that most workers would love to be able to make their own espresso coffee at work. Why? Because this means they're less out of their desk outside buying coffee. This means there's less cost to their workers. And this particularly means more efficiency for businesses by having satisfied staff, which usually results in higher performance. 
Now, have you ever wondered why some companies give laptops or mobile phones as part of the compensation package? Not because they really like you. It just means if you had means to work from home, you probably will. It's a great strategy to make workers feel valued, but at the same time, improving their efficiency. Now, this is where value proposition budgeting comes in. In this particular case, Amy has considered the value of the espresso machine. Its price is a completely different aspect to this. Does the item create value to the stakeholders, that is, the employees? The answer is yes. Her workers are part of the key stakeholders. Does the value of the item outweigh its costs? Yes. Although an espresso machine might be considered unnecessary for a business whose primary products and services is nowhere near related to coffee at all, but the value it brings, it's somewhat immeasurable. Now, I once worked at a hospital who decided to remove the espresso machine from the staff kitchen and there was absolute massive uproar. And very quickly, management realised the machine brings more value than what it costs in maintenance. And the machine was very quickly replaced. Now, there are two things here. Keeping your employees happy is really important. And don't always consider that having things that are not directly related to your business is always a bad decision. In that particular case, even though it was a hospital, having an espresso machine for the healthcare workers for free was actually a good value proposition because it improved their morale and it made them feel valued. And the second thing is never underestimate bureaucrats to do dumb stuff to really upset their staff. It happens a lot in healthcare. As the saying goes, how do you keep healthcare workers engaged? Just infuse them with more coffee. Now, the last type of budgeting for businesses is called zero-based budgeting. Now, this is a very tight budgeting strategy, but basically every dollar must be accounted for. It's very similar to personal finance budgeting of zero-based budgeting. Now, the budget starts with a zero and builds from scratch. Nothing is approved automatically. This is called a bottom-up budgeting approach, while activity-based budget is an example of a top-down approach. And these sorts of budgets are often used when companies are taken over, are in financial strife, or administrators are called to review the budgets because the business is floundering. They look for ways to reduce costs and make it more lean and make it more efficient. These sorts of budgets don't work really well for businesses that have stable fixed cost as they're not negotiable. It's more to do with businesses which have a lot of discretionary costs. Unfortunately, human labour is considered discretionary and as often human resources department is the first place people look for to cut costs and make their companies leaner. This means job losses, unfortunately. Essentially, this is what happened in 2020 when COVID hit when businesses looked at their budgets carefully and cut costs, often laying off workers because they simply couldn't afford it during the reduced periods of activity. Now, that's the four main types of corporate budgets. Before I finish up, I want to briefly discuss three main ways budgets are achieved. And I think if you're a manager of a department, this might be a good thing to listen to, particularly if you're in healthcare, if you're a nurse unit manager, if you're a medical director, if you're a a practice owner of a GP clinic or allied health practice, this might be something to consider. Now, personally, I'm a collaborative person. I don't think even as a manager, one should make dictatorial moves and make unilateral budgetary measures because it just upsets everyone. 
The most important skill of your manager is to have your workers on your side at all times. So what are some of the ways to, you know, I guess involve staff and not involve staff in the budgeting process? Because when you think about it from an executive point of view, from a budgetary point of view, ideally you want some buy-in from the staff that are working for your business. The first type is called imposed budgeting. Now, this is basically when executives make the call. Managers have very little say, which often means that staff have very little say. Targets are set by top-end people and managers and workers agree and oblige to them. Now, this sort of thing works well for a company in strife and there needs to be some serious turnaround of the budgets quickly. It doesn't work well in all situations because it often divides the executives and the staff and therefore goal congruence may defer and you may get pushback and resistance. This happens a lot in healthcare, particularly when hospitals get taken over, when there's mergers, when the private sector merges or public sector merges. It happens a lot. Basically, new executives come in and say, that's it, this is the budget, and all the managers and all the staff just have to, you know, suck it up. The second type of budgeting sort of strategy when it comes to staff and managers is participative budgeting. I hope I pronounced that right. This is where employees may have a significant say and they feed back to managers and executives about recommended targets. The executives look to the staff to set the targets and therefore approve budgets based on those targets. And this creates a bit of freedom for the employees and managers. And there are limits, though, to the approval processes. So that's the other end of the spectrum, where the employees kind of call all the shots and the executives and managers abide or, you know, take that into account. And the third strategy is called negotiated budgeting. This is basically a bit of both. This is a shared responsibility model. Now, this is work from executives about targets and expectations, and there's also some collaborative efforts and staff who have their say too. And working together to reach a common goal is what this method aims to do. And this means there is more buy-in, potentially more involvement of all the staff and budgeting process is not all just one-sided. If the employees and the executives have buy-in, the company is more likely to succeed and more importantly, has a better workplace culture. So those are the three types of budgeting strategies in terms of involving staff when it comes to you know setting targets. Now that's about it for this episode. We've covered a whole heap of topics. So let's just briefly review. We discussed what are budgets, why have them, We also discussed the types of personal finance budgets and the types of corporate budgeting strategies. And we also discussed the methods of negotiating budgets with executives versus employees. Please remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you may be using. And if you really want, just leave a five-star review and rating on all of the platforms. That's even better. Now, I don't usually do this, but I found this really great review, which I'd like to share Um, And this from a person called Trilon, who writes, accessible and essential financial information for everyone. If you're new to finances, do not go further and listen to this one from the beginning now. Devraga's podcasts have been absolutely crucial in educating me about my finances. My parents were refugees, immigrants, and believed in hard work and education to get ahead. Unfortunately, that alone isn't enough. Much like ignorance and nutrition may lead to poor physical health, ignorance in finances may lead to poor wealth. Dev's purpose has been altruistic from the start 
And every episode brings us passion about making money work for you and the benefit of those around you. His repeating mantras about certain concepts are to develop values that are often foreign to those naive with economics. Do not let the medical slant fool you into thinking the content is exclusive to a particular audience. Although his stories and experiences come from the perspective of a doctor, the lessons learnt apply to everyone. The podcasts have a very natural appeal to them and make for easy listening. They have evolved from a very basic recording of a self-proclaimed random guy on the internet to a more interactive series addressing listeners and questions. I have to disclose that I've been an avid listener since he was on CastBox. Now I listen to him on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. The new partnership with and rebranding as My Millennium Money Medical makes me extremely happy. It allowed Dev to bring his important message to an even wider audience. Compared to other podcasts available out there, the Dev Raga series is direct, simple to understand. So please, pay yourself first and join me as a listener to this amazing series for many more episodes to come. Thank you and try long. Now, that's an awesome review and that really made my day and makes this whole podcasting thing worthwhile. Um, you know, the podcast series, although started off being for doctors, it actually turns out it's relevant to any profession. And that's why I have a lot of healthcare workers and all sorts of, uh, you know, healthcare positions listening to this episodes and also have a lot of lawyers, also have a lot of engineers and shout out to train drivers. Um, I've been told that in Western Australia, there is a significant group of train drivers that are listening to these episodes. So really appreciate that support. Because the principles of money and finance doesn't change no matter what you do. My name's Dev Raga and this is My Millennium Money Medical. And until next time, please make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorised representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services licence 451289. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.